Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When a pretty nags head tourist turns up dead on the beach outside her hotel, summer fun comes crashing to an end. You can see the blood on her neck. This was a crime of horrific violence. Figuring out who did this horrible deed leaves detectives scratching their heads. Police interviewed more than 200 suspects. They couldn't really eliminate anybody. Is a drink-slinging bad boy to blame, a scorned waitress set on revenge, a cabana attendant with a criminal past? Or is there a depraved killer lurking in paradise? And any one of them could have been our killer. And this murder mystery gets even trickier when Mother Nature blows into town. The Outer Banks was evacuated. Witnesses were gone. The evidence was taken away by the storm. But even a hurricane can't wash away the tracks left behind by this vicious killer. It was the piece of evidence that we had been looking for all along. It was huge. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? The idyllic beach town of Nags Head sits on North Carolina's famous Outer Banks. This one-time port of call for plundering pirates is now a pristine paradise for townies and tourists. The tourists come to the Outer Banks because of the beautiful beaches and the sand. It's all natural, it's not commercial, there's no boardwalks, just laid back, easy going, beautiful beaches. 35-year-old Janet Saklari has been enjoying all that Nags Head has to offer for years. Now an ultrasound technician in Arlington, New Jersey, this charming single still heads to the Outer Banks whenever she can, often with her brother, Wade. Janet came down here frequently as she was growing up. She and her brother loved coming down here. She was a fun-loving woman, very devoted to her family. She and her brother were very, very close. Janet loves to blow off some steam at one of the vacation spot's many clubs. 
and the feeling of sand between her toes. The beach was what drew Janet here. So she just loved being on the beach and you know that's why she kept coming back here. And Janet draws men like the moon draws in the tides. She's the center of attention wherever she goes. She was very petite. She had dark hair, a real pretty smile, very attractive woman. I think very alluring to men. In August of 1993, Janet, her big brother, and some girlfriends head south for some fun in the sun. But little does Janet know that her party days are almost over. At seven o'clock on Saturday, August 28th, Robert Trevet is catching up on some paperwork. Now a district court judge, back then this wet-behind-the-ears assistant DA is unprepared for what the day would bring. I recall the weather was pretty nice that day, um, and I got a call from one of the Nags Head police officers asking me if I could come down to the area on the beach. The officer tells Trevette that just a half hour earlier, a sanitation worker cleaning up the beach behind a popular hotel stumbled upon a gruesome sight the bloody body of a woman. I didn't get that kind of call very often at all as an assistant district attorney, and I knew that if they called me and wanted me to come, that it was very, very serious and something very unusual for the Outer Banks. First-hand knowledge of the victim could be a big help if Trevette tries the case, so he wastes no time making the five-mile drive to the scene. When he finally sees the half-naked woman, he can't believe his eyes. She was lying on her side in sort of a half-fetal position. She had on a top, but she didn't have on anything below her waist. And then she was actually clutching her shorts up next to her neck, near where her throat had been cut. And it was apparent to me that she had died trying to stop the bleeding with this piece of clothing. It's clear to investigators someone sure had it in for this woman. It was hard to say how many stab wounds there were at that point. I personally couldn't tell from my observation. She was pretty covered in blood. This woman's last moments were obviously a nightmare. But what's not clear is who she is and who's to blame for her death. With no ID in her pockets and no purse nearby, police can't pinpoint her identity just yet. They didn't know anything about her. They probably assumed, because of the location in front of the hotel where Janet was murdered, that she was a tourist. But as investigators scour the scene for evidence, they find several items that just might reveal who killed her. Police collected cigarette butts in the vicinity of the body, and a little bit away from the body were a pair of tennis shoes, high top white basketball shoes with gray socks stuffed inside. And there was a beer can or two nearby that they collected. If the crime lab comes back with any fingerprints or DNA, police might just have a name for their suspect list. Before detectives even have the evidence bagged up, they learn the name of the victim. I remember standing there watching the other officers process the evidence, and a male came out of the hotel, and he started screaming and crying. He tells police his name is Wade Dawson, 
and that his sister, Janet, didn't sleep in her hotel bed last night. Then, when he looked out his window and saw the commotion outside, he got a horrible feeling. I don't know exactly what he saw, but my guess is he probably saw a little bit of what was down there. As a result, I'd seen all the police out there. I think he put the pieces together quickly. And when investigators show Wade the body, his worst fears are confirmed. It's his sister, Janet. Janet's brother was so devastated by this murder of his sister. He was very, very close to his sister, and the way that she died was extremely difficult for him to deal with. Police are just as stunned and have to ask themselves who could have committed such a horrible act on this beautiful stretch of beach. This does not happen at the Outer Banks. I think all of the officers that were there that morning were kind of functioning in a state of subdued shock. Without a lot to go on, police are hoping that Janet's brother can help them answer some questions. They wanted to make sure that they understood the timeline and the sequence of events that occurred right before Janet's death, since Wade was the last person that spoke to Janet before she was murdered. And it seems Wade has some suspicions to share. He noticed his little sis was getting a lot of attention from not one person, but two last night. He observed something that happened between them and that stood out to him. Did one of Janet's admirers become her lethal nemesis and take his attraction to her too far? It was just kind of bizarre, and it became sort of one of those stories that was so odd, yes, it had to be believable. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? 
I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. As summer winds down in Nags Head, tourists soak up the last rays and down icy drinks in their Adirondack chairs. But no one's relaxing on the Saturday morning Janet Saklari is found murdered, as Virginian pilot reporter Catherine Kozak remembers all too well. It was completely shocking that, that she was killed on the beach. It did change people's perspective. But you're not always safe, even in a safe area. People said, this does not happen on the Outer Banks. People here felt almost tainted because it was such an aberration for the Outer Banks to have anything this violent happen. And certainly the police were under a lot of pressure to find this killer. Police figure their best shot at solving this case is to have another chat with Janet's brother. Despite his grief, Wade comes to the station to run down yesterday's events. After a relaxing day on the beach, he, Janet, and two of her girlfriends went out on the town around seven. They ate dinner at the hotel, and then they planned to go out to a club nearby and enjoyed the music and the dancing. But dinner didn't exactly go as planned. When Wade politely complained about his meal, the waitress got a little testy with him and Janet, who was in the next seat. But Wade says they weren't about to let the waitress's foul mood spoil their night, so they drove to the Port of Call nightclub, where Janet hung out with a guy she'd met earlier in the week, a local party boy, Brad Casey. A strapping hunk who pours drinks at another bar in town. Brad was uh, around 30. He was kind of a rugged, outdoorsy type of guy who, according to Janet's brother, was the type of guy that Janet was attracted to. And this bad boy sure seemed to be enjoying Janet's company. So much so, it made another woman who just arrived at the club mighty mad. The same prickly waitress from dinner. Turns out she's Andrea Mackey, Brad's on-again, off-again girlfriend. Seems watching Brad flirting with Janet was more than she could handle. It became apparent that there was some uh, friction between Janet and the bartender's girlfriend, and there was a little bit of jealousy there. 
despite Andrea's antics, Wade says Janet didn't leave Brad's side the rest of the night. Since Janet was having a great time, Wade tells police he and her girlfriends didn't think twice about heading back to the hotel without her. And sure enough, Janet was safely back in the room around 2.30. Wade said he was in bed and asleep. He heard someone come in and woke up enough to realize that it was Janet, and she got her cigarettes and then left. Wade goes on to say that he assumed Janet simply slipped out to have a smoke on the beach. Wade never gave us the impression that he thought that was unusual. I mean, Janet was a grown adult woman. She did what she wanted to do as she wanted to do it. He knew his sister loved the ocean and probably didn't want to leave the next day. Police thank Wade for his help and move on to envious Andrea. Could this woman scorned have been so jealous she decided to take her rival out of the picture for good? Police track down this troublemaking waitress, hoping for a good tip. She became, to some degree, a focus of law enforcement because she was so intertwined in the events that occurred that last night. And they just had to untie that knot and figure out what, if any, her role was in the whole process. Detectives call the bristly brunette into the station for questioning and waste no time asking Andrea exactly what went on between her and Janet. Her story was that she had seen her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Brad, interact with Janet in a way that caused her to be jealous. Andrea admits things really got heated once Janet's brother and friends took off. That's when she confronted Brad about his new squeeze. There's conversation between the ex-girlfriend and Brad that's not very pleasant. And then Brad and Janet leave. And the ex-girlfriend is right there watching this happen. Sure sounds like Andrea had a motive, watching her sometime boyfriend leave with a woman he couldn't take his hands off of. And she had the opportunity living near the hotel where Janet was staying. Perhaps Andrea spotted her rival on the beach later that night. She was acting the part of a woman scorned that night. It was clear she was, she was upset and angry. So it was a question we had to ask ourselves. After all, Andrea works in a kitchen bristling with cutlery. There were plenty of knives in that kitchen that would have fit the description of the type of weapon that they believed was involved in this crime. Police decide to go for it and ask Andrea point blank if she murdered Janet. A question that draws a quick denial. Andrea insists she went straight home about an hour after Brad and Janet left the bar. When she got home, she claims Brad was waiting for her, irate over her earlier behavior. After a brief fight, Andrea says Brad took off and she went inside and went to bed. Her story had all these twists and turns in it, making the investigators shake their head about its veracity. At first, we weren't sure whether we believed it or not. And since Andrea lives alone, there's no one to confirm her story. So police check her record, 
hoping for another clue, but no such luck. She didn't have any type of record that would indicate that she had any kind of violent behavior in her past or any kind of crime like that. But that doesn't mean she didn't do it. When women kill, love's usually to blame. Typically, men are more likely to murder than women, and police know that, but when you're talking about a crime of passion, especially with a jealous woman, there's that possibility. Investigators aren't sure yet if Andrea's good for Janet's murder. But before they have a chance to look into this femme fatale any further, the autopsy results come in. And this report reads like a horror story. While investigators have been focusing on a female suspect, the coroner finds evidence that a man is to blame. Fresh semen in Janet's body. Janet was not the type of person to have a one-night stand with a guy. So we were pretty certain early on this was a rape. Judging by the defensive wounds on her hands, Janet tried to fight back, but she was clearly no match for her attacker, who was armed with some kind of knife and stabbed her numerous times before slashing her throat. She did not die immediately. It took probably more than a minute or minutes before she finally bled out and died. The Emmy thinks Janet succumbed to her injuries around four in the morning. And with this type of overkill, Detectives wonder what sent her attacker into such a rage. This wasn't like one gunshot to the head. This is repeated stabbings and slashings. And I just can't imagine a, a worse series of events to have to endure for a human being. Investigators are more determined than ever to figure out who lashed out at Janet. So they zero in on the man who left the port call bar with her that fateful night. Brad Casey. Perhaps he wanted more than Janet was willing to give him, so they haul Brad into the station for a little sit-down. The buff barkeep tells police he's already heard the horrible news. But if Brad is simply heartbroken, why does he seem so nervous? He appeared initially to be somewhat anxious because he probably pretty quickly realized that he was one of the last people to see Janet alive and that the focus of this investigation was definitely on him. Now, police need to find out if there's more to this smooth-talking bartender than meets the eye and whether or not an innocent flirtation turned deadly for Janet. Just a day after Janet Siklari's murder, the seaside town of Nags Head is already bracing for a second blow. This time, from Mother Nature. The community had to come to grips with a murder that happened here on the beach. Around the same time, we had a hurricane come into the Outer Banks named Emily. Ronnie Merrill, the manager of the port call bar where Janet spent her last night, recalls the chaos with Emily expected to hit town in less than 48 hours. We had a mandatory evacuation. So 
all tourists and all rental properties and all hotels, all those people left Outer Banks. For police scrambling to solve Janet's case, it's a perfect storm, destined to cripple their investigation. So the crime scene and the people who were immediately in the vicinity where the homicide occurred were going to be gone. So it was very, very, very frustrating. Good thing police already have bartender Brad Casey on their Doppler, the very guy Janet drove home the night she was killed. There was a lot of sexual tension going on that night between Janet and the bartender and the bartender's girlfriend, who was jealous of Janet because she observed flirting between the bartender and Janet. With Brad in the hot seat, detectives start grilling him like a crab cake slider. Brad confirms his estranged girlfriend, Andrea Mackey's story about the squabble in the port call bar. She was hopping mad about him riding home with bubbly Janet. Uh, it became clear to the investigators that he was in a relationship where there was apparently a lot of jealousy and they were not getting along. Brad tells police that after Janet dropped him off around 2.30, he grabbed a snack and walked to girlfriend Andrea's place just steps from the beach to confront her about the bar fight. And what he says next throws police for a loop. While slicing up a tasty treat, he spots Janet heading into the hotel, but he swears he didn't say a word to her. He had a roll of pepperoni and a knife, and he sat there while he waited for his girlfriend and ate the pepperoni. It's so bizarre, how could you make it up? You're gonna tell law enforcement you're sitting in the parking lot with a knife? He did. Looks like Brad has handed police a gift. Now, if police can only prove this knife-wielding Lothario is good for the crime, and they have to wonder, did Brad become too hot to handle later that night? The scene was sexually charged, and the question became, was this an atmosphere that could lead to murder? When police ask Brad if he killed Janet, he denies it. Besides, he insists that Andrea pulled up right after he saw Janet. After speaking to Andrea, he went home in a huff, and that's where he stayed the rest of the night. Brad even tells police they can check out the small knife for themselves. It's in the kitchen sink, right where he left it. And that's not all Brad is willing to give up. Brad volunteered to give us a DNA sample, a sample that we could use to test against a semen sample. But this moody mixologist is far from off the hook. With no one to corroborate his alibi, detectives run Brad's record, but find nothing more than a few traffic tickets. Looks like it's time to let Brad go and move him a few notches down on the suspect list. My gut told me about Brad that he was um, an overgrown kid, pretty immature, and you know, still kind of hanging on to his teenage years and his 20s, but that he wasn't a killer. Detectives are more than disappointed. And with Hurricane Emily bearing down, they're desperate for a hot lead. So they corner Janet's friend, Stacy, before she leaves town and ask if there are any other fishy characters Janet may have encountered during their stay. Stacy says Cabana attendant Jacob Ryan 
didn't exactly make a good impression when he spotted Janet in a bikini. Janet's friends had seen him, you know, looking her up and down, and it got to the point where they, uh, they had to tell him to leave them alone. Then he upped the ante by making an unwanted pass at Janet the very night she was killed. On that last night, uh, while the party was having dinner at the hotel, Mr. Ryan walked by during the meal and leaned down and kissed Janet on the cheek. Stacy goes on to say that Janet was polite during the whole incident. But did Jacob go after her for not returning his advances? She routinely was approached by men in public and men who tried to touch her and kiss her, and she didn't encourage it at all. And when police run this kissing bandit's record, it's an eye-opener. Jacob served a year and a half in prison for stabbing his own brother. Looks like it's time to drag this hothead down to the station. He grudgingly agrees and doesn't make things easy for police once they have him in the spotlight. He appeared to be wary of law enforcement and he seemed to have some kind of defense up about himself. And he had to have realized too that he was being looked at seriously. Jacob admits to admiring Janet's beachside curves, but claims he had no idea he was bothering her. So when he saw Janet at dinner that night, he didn't hesitate to say hello. When police ask Jacob what he did the rest of the evening, his answer fails to impress. He didn't have an alibi. He claimed to have been asleep in his apartment at the time of that murder. Seems like Jacob could have easily surprised Janet during her late night stargazing on the beach. After all, if he could stab his own kin, he wouldn't think twice about stabbing a pretty tourist. They felt like he might know something. They were suspicious of his answers. In case Jacob is their guy, police ask him for a DNA sample. He reluctantly agrees, and police send him on his way. Mr. Ryan stayed high on the suspect list because of encounters that he had with her that night that kept the focus on him. Uh, plus, he had no alibi. But before police can track down another suspect, Hurricane Emily unleashes her wrath on the Outer Banks. It would have been so easy for a killer to disappear. The whole beach was chaos then, because there's no way that you can control who is exiting during a evacuation like that. It's a mass exit. Figuring out this who done it is going to be a whole lot trickier now that Hurricane Emily has blown into town. Three days after Janet Saklari's murder, locals are feeling as weather-beaten as the houses along the Nags Head shore. People were absolutely shocked about this, and the police were under a lot of pressure to find this killer. And they didn't know if he was still out and about among people or if he was gone. The Category 3 storm wipes out the hotel where Janet stayed and blows witnesses and suspects alike out of town. 
good thing Janet's mom calls with a hot tip that keeps the investigation going. She wants police to know all about a someone from Janet's past, Jersey boy Frank Mazza. He was the person identified as having been in a relationship with Janet. So absolutely he was somebody that we had to consider because the statistically that's the person that you're most likely to be murdered by. Janet's mom tells police that while going through some of her daughter's belongings, she came across some provocative letters from Maza. In one, he wrote that he wouldn't know what he would do if Janet started seeing someone else. Mom never met Frank, but it sure sounds like he's got a hot temper, just the kind of bad boy Janet liked. Janet did like the outgoing, sort of rugged sort of guy, and he fit that description. He had a rough edge to him. And Janet's mom mentions something else she finds very suspicious about Frank. When he and Janet were dating, Janet told her mom she worried Frank might get violent if she broke up with him. So even though it's been a while since the couple split, police wonder how it all went down. Police needed to know whether it was uh, a bad breakup or not. If Frank's still steaming, detectives just may have a prime suspect. Could Frank have gotten wind of the good time Janet was having in Mag's head without him and decided to crash the party? There's lots of folks that come here from New Jersey. He could have blended in in the huge crowd, somehow known where Janet was, and because he was upset over the relationship, he could have murdered her. And when police do a little digging into this Jersey boy, they find out Frank has a hobby that really revs up their engines. Janet's ex-boyfriend, he was also a member of a biker gang, which got the interest of police. And more alarming still, in 1975, Frank served five years in prison for being an accessory to murder when one of his biker buddies shot a rival gang member. Because he had this prior conviction for murder on his record, it moved him way up the suspect list. He, it, it, it demonstrated that he'd done it once, he might have done it again. So Nags Head Police tracked down Frank at his mechanics job in New Jersey. Frank doesn't seem surprised to see them. He's heard through the grapevine that Janet was murdered. He comes down to the local police station and stays calm as police throw him some tough questions. When detectives ask about his relationship with Janet, he says they were an item for a few years. The ex-boyfriend told police that they were an on-again, off-again couple and that he had broken up with Janet. The twice-divorced father of four claims he broke it off because Janet was pressuring him to settle down which is different from what Janet's mother said. Police wonder if Frank's telling the truth, so they lob a few more questions at him. Was there any violent history involved in their relationship? Um, how had it ended? Was it over? When was the last time they saw each other? Frank claims he and Janet stayed friends even after their hot romance burned out. In fact, he says they were so close, 
that Janet offered him an interesting invitation before she left for Nags Head. He did indicate that Janet had actually asked him to come on this trip, but he, he couldn't afford to and, and didn't come. But maybe Frank did hop on his bike and head down the coast. So police ask him where he was the night Janet was murdered. He says he was in a Jersey hospital being treated for a workplace injury. But as detectives move on from Biker Boy, they begin to wonder if they'll ever make an arrest. Within that first six months, there was a sinking feeling going through this investigation. It was very frustrating. There was nothing that, that was leaping out at us. Uh, there were people that were possibilities. There were suspicious statements made, but there was nothing clear that was coming out. Police watch this case go colder than a six-pack in an icy cooler. And more frustrating still, none of the DNA samples collected during the investigation come back as a match to Janet's. And Janet's family is also left high and dry to play a frustrating waiting game. The case went cold, and it just was so frustrating to the Seclary family, and they felt so desperate. The Seclary family were wanting to uncover any rock that might have been overlooked. They wanted to know if the Nags Head Police Department had missed anything. But after police revisit hundreds of former leads, nothing seems to pan out, and detectives can't help starting to lose heart. I had to admit to the fact that it might go unsolved, and I mean, it, it, it occurred to me. I hoped that wasn't the case. I prayed it wasn't the case. Janet's case gathers dust on a shelf for four long years until science gives police the break they've been waiting for. When investigators compare the semen taken from Janet at the time of the murder to DNA samples in a new database, they get a hit. It seems a jailbird in a prison about an hour outside of Nags Head just may be their man. When we got a name that went with our DNA sample, I mean, it was huge. It was a complete game changer for the investigation. It just turned all our attention in one direction. With this sudden break in the case, police are itching to find out more about the man behind the match and wonder if they have finally found the killer who stayed one step ahead of them for so long. Nearly four years after Janet Siclari's brutal murder, Nagshead police finally have a DNA hit on a promising new suspect, inmate Thomas Barry. That was the biggest, absolute, most incredible thing that had happened in the case so far, and it was the piece of evidence that we had been looking for all along. Now, police are certain Barry had sex with Janet, but judging by his record, they doubt it was consensual. He's already behind bars for an assault in a nearby town just a year before Janet died. Barry was convicted of a sexual offense against a minor. I believe it was a 12-year-old girl. He served some time 
And then he was released on parole. In fact, the recently divorced fisherman was out on parole when Janet was vacationing in Nags Head. But he was thrown back in the slammer three years later when he failed a mandatory drug test. And that's when he provided police with the prized piece of evidence they needed. When he was picked up for the parole violation, they took uh, his DNA sample and they put that into the database and lo and behold, they got a hit. But did this convicted sex offender take it a step further and commit the ultimate sin against Janet? Before detectives interview the man of the hour, they track down a woman who was in Barry's life at the time of Janet's death, his ex-girlfriend. She's living in Barry's hometown of Englehart, about an hour outside Nags Head. We were trying to figure out his timeline now about where he was in the days and then the hours leading up to the murder, trying to establish other evidence that showed that he was in and around the hotel where Janet was murdered. Was he living in the area? Was he working in the area? Barry's former main squeeze confirms he was crashing at her house at the time. Barry was working as a fisherman, 15 minutes away from the resort town. And she recalls he almost always carried a fishing knife on his belt. Could that be the knife that cut short Janet's life? What Barry's ex says next makes police suspect it may be. He talked a lot about how he had sex with so many women. He was very convinced that he was irresistible. Maybe this egotistical angler was fishing for a date when he saw Janet on the beach and struck up a conversation. There's one more tidbit Barry's ex shares. When police show her a photo of something they found on the beach. We did recover from the crime scene a pair of tennis shoes and a pair of socks. And so we questioned her about whether she would recognize those items. After one look at the kicks, the ex drops a bombshell. She recalled that she bought him shoes like that and that those gray socks that were stuffed down in those sneakers were the kind that he wore. With this information in hand, police get a warrant to search the last place Barry lived, but they come up empty. So they pay Barry a little visit at the Pasquatonk Correctional Center. Barry immediately denies meeting a beautiful brunette on the beach. Even when police pull out all the stops and tell Barry his DNA is a match, he takes a dip in denial. Barry denied ever meeting Janet. Denied that he had sex with her, denied that he killed her, denied that they had ever even met on the beach. Police don't believe a word Barry says, so they press harder and ask him where he was that night. Barry didn't have an alibi. He couldn't tell us exactly where he was. He didn't remember. And Barry has an excuse for his temporary amnesia. He did say that he had been smoking a lot of crack during that period, and he didn't remember a lot of what he did. Detectives keep pushing. And sure enough, some memories start to come back to Barry. He remembers that he had been smoking crack at a beach access that was just north of the hotel where Janet was murdered. 
but that's as far as the sneaky sex offender will go. He told me that he could um, not remember whether he ever met Janice Clary. He was so messed up on crack that he didn't remember everything, but he insisted he could not forget killing somebody, and there's no possible way he did that. Despite detectives grilling, Thomas Berry never confesses. But police have enough evidence to arrest him, so they keep the cuffs on this convict and send him back to his cell. We got a very dangerous person off the streets. I have no doubt that he would have raped or harmed people again. He was just that kind of person. He did not seem remorseful. He did not demonstrate any kind of compassion. And in January of 1999, six years after Janet's murder, Nags Head prosecutors make sure Barry will never see the light of day. He's sentenced to two consecutive life terms for the first-degree murder and rape of Janet Siklari, giving some long-awaited closure to her family. Barry's conviction was a tremendous relief for the Siklari family. It can't replace the person, but it won't harm anybody else. Based on the evidence, police piece together what happened on that fateful summer night. It all starts when Janet goes outside her hotel to have one last cigarette on the beach. And she's approached by Barry, who's high on crack cocaine. I think he probably walked up and Janet, being Janet, probably was friendly to him. Barry kicks off his shoes and bums a cigarette. But friendly banter quickly takes a twisted turn. But petite Janet is no match for her crazed attacker. Though she struggles with all her might, when Barry reaches for his fishing knife, she loses the battle. He forced her to take her clothes off. He forced her to have sex with him, using the knife, holding it against her throat. Determined to keep Janet from reporting him to the police, he silences her for good. He had left a victim alive before and gone to jail, and he was not going to leave one this time. But this crazed crack monster is so dazed that he leaves his shoes and socks near Janet's lifeless body. The only thing that Janet Seclary did wrong was go outside and feel safe on this beach. That's the only thing she did wrong, and how is she to know that? With Janet's killer locked in a dark cell, folks in Nags Head can go back to the lighthearted life they love. Warm summer days and cool drinks on their seaside porches. And they will always remember the sparkly brunette who loved to shine her light on the outer banks and had a smile for everyone she met. Janet was a very compelling person, a person with a large personality loved by, by many people. Although we put this murder behind us and we're ready to move on. We're not ready to forget Janet. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.